to Prevention Is Now. My name is Deb Bonner, and I'm the preventionist and community advocate for the Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault in Springfield, Illinois. Traditionally, sexual assault prevention efforts have been focused on teaching women what they should or should not do, where they should or should not go. Now, more recent research through organizations such as the CDC, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and others have determined a far more effective approach is to start involving bystanders, and men in particular, in the prevention effort. In 2001, Futures Without Violence launched a new program called Coaching Boys into Men, or CBIM. Now, initially, this was a public service campaign to raise awareness. However, in the 19 years that have followed, CBIM has grown into a comprehensive violence prevention program that has been successfully implemented throughout the United States and across the globe in places like Australia, South Africa, Angola, Brazil, the Ivory Coast, Japan, Mexico, Norway, and Trinidad, just to name a few. In 2006, Futures Without Violence developed an international coach's guide based off of CBIM. It was adapted for soccer and English, but is also available in French and Spanish versions. The guide was even distributed by FIFA to its national football associations, which counts more than 200 countries. In 2012, CBIM went through a three-year evaluation funded by the CDC and found that athletes that had been through the program were not only less likely to perpetrate abuse themselves, but were more likely to intervene when witnessing inappropriate behaviors from their peers, making coaching boys into men the only evidence-based program that focuses on athletes and their coaches. Now to discuss the program with me today is Jesse Mahler. He's part of the public education team at Futures Without Violence. So let's go back to 2001. Why, when you were coming up with this new campaign, did you choose the coach-athlete demographic for your new program? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. So going back to 2001, and for full transparency, I was not working with teachers in 2001, but we you know, looked at the history of violence prevention efforts. And you know, thinking about the 80s and the 90s that were kind of leading up to this time period, the only real way for men to be involved in any kind of prevention effort was in battering intervention programs. So this was once harm had already occurred. And the kind of avenues, the pathways for men to get involved were very limited. And broadly speaking, men were not seen as a part of the solution, as a part of the long-term, sustainable, how can we end gender-based violence. And so we did some surveying and some polling across the country with a broad array of men that basically understands what are the most likely ways that men can get and want to get involved in, in efforts to end violence. And there were different options for political advocacy, volunteering, but the one that was by far the most prevalent and chosen was to be working with young people and to be mentors. And so we actually didn't intend initially to create uh, or build a public campaign and program to engage with sports and athletics specifically. But when we asked the question, well, where are men? Where are boys? One of the, the most obvious answers was sports. And sports and athletics are such a massive platform where there is so much men- positive mentorship already that can occur. And so we wanted to build on that. And that ultimately is where Coaching Boys and Men fits in. Is It's a program that leverages the platform that sports and coaches already have to be positive mentors and role models to change cultural gender-based norms and 
teach healthy relationship skills and ultimately prevent and end gender-based violence in the long run. And I think probably another uh, bonus to working with the athletes, and in so many schools, the athletes themselves are in the really popular group, and a lot of students look up to them. So uh, not only are your athletes mentored by their coaches, but then they in turn kind of pass it on down through the peer groups through the schools. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm thinking back even to when I was in middle school or in high school, and that was absolutely the case. And I think that that stresses the need for this kind of education to to exist in in sports in particular, because, you know, we'll get into some of the you know reasons why this work is so important and why this education is so important later. But the athletes often do have that social clout. You know, oftentimes they are the ones who are hosting parties. They are the ones that folks look up to. And, um, and also it's just a, a huge population of boys are engaged in, in those activities in general. When I think about a high school, for instance, so it's a really critical kind of place to be engaging and working with boys, especially when we think about how there may be a lack of this kind of education in other spaces within schools or communities. It may not be coming from, it may not be coming from health classes. It may not be coming from teachers. And so providing some of that support and some of that curriculum is really, really necessary. Now, can you walk us through how Coaching Boys into Men works? Absolutely. So at a base level, Coaching Boys into Men is a program that empowers coaches to educate their male athletes on what healthy relationships look like, on what abusive relationships look like, and how to intervene when witnessing abusive behavior. And of course, to also embody those healthy relationship skills so that they can promote healthy relationships in their own, in their own. And the general structure is that we'll have advocates, so folks who work in communities, uh, center who may be a prevention specialist, but doesn't need to be. We have community members and coaches play this role as well. And that individual will train coaches during one, two-hour coaches clinic, as we call it, for how the coach can implement the curriculum, which is 15 minutes, once per week, that's embedded within practice and training sessions. And of course, this has completely been blown up during COVID because sports are so up in the air. But nevertheless, the the structure remains the same. And it's even more important, I would actually say, during COVID for coaches to maintain this connection. And so Coaching Boys and Men offers a specific kind of platform and curriculum for coaches to be using in this consistent basis where those advocates are also providing ongoing support. So, for instance, one of the cards, as we call them, of this 12-part card series is on consent, which can generally be an uncomfortable topic for a lot of coaches. So that could be a topic where an advocate might partner with a coach to be able to implement that specific lesson. It's really important for coaches to know that they're not alone and they have support in being able to implement the curriculum. So that's the general structure for how it works. But there's a lot about, you know, why it works that we can get into as well. So we've talked a little bit about consent, which is key. But how does CBIM continue to address gender-based violence? And what are some of those key components that help prevent gender-based violence from continuing to happen? Well, there are three particular areas that we know of why we know the program works and three kind of foundational elements of the program as well. So the first is increasing knowledge, as I stated earlier, about what is abusive and what is healthy relationship behavior. And this spans different 
relationship elements. So consent is one element, which to be very clear, does not just have to do with sex. That has to do with everything from, you know, who is buying food when you're going out to the general, just any kind of physical intimacy, hugging that might be existing between people. This has to do with digital disrespect, for instance. So how over social media platforms can abuse, what can abuse look like over social, which is particularly relevant now. So whether or not there might be harassment happening when the direct messages for someone um, or where, what does it look like to have a, to start a relationship healthily over, over FaceTime or over Zoom or things like that. So those are a few topics, but you know, we talk about bragging about sexual reputation. We talk about personal responsibility and what that means. So increasing knowledge of abusive and healthy relationship behaviors is the first piece. The second is increasing the intentions to intervene. So by increasing the knowledge of healthy and abusive relationship behaviors, it provides the, the background to even say, well, when should I be intervening? If I'm a 16-year-old male athlete and I'm on the field or the court or I'm in the hallway, when exactly is important if I'm hearing a, you know, one of my peers catcall someone or make a comment on someone's outfit or their appearance or they're talking a bit encounter that they had last night at a party, when is it important to intervene? So it's increasing those intentions. And then the last piece is that when interventions actually happen. So if I am that person and I'm hearing someone do any of those unhealthy behaviors, that when I intervene, it's actually more positive. So as opposed to being a bystander that's inactive, that's just maybe listening, or even a negative one that's laughing, you know, joking along to some of that, because maybe oftentimes we, we know that uh, what being accepted is so important within. I mean, when, when people are teenagers, when they are growing up, that that acceptance is really important, and that kind of a hierarchy definitely exists within sports as well. So being able to intervene in a way that's saying, hey, that's not okay. Oftentimes we hear, hey, that's not coaching boys into men. Hey, we don't talk about that last night you know, at practice, that that's, that's one piece of it. And just a few other elements I want to touch on is that we achieve all of those outcomes through the influence that coaches have, which is so critical. Coaches play such an important role in the lives of young people as role models. And so when coaches role model what that positive behavior looks like when they are intervening, when they're hearing inappropriate language and behaviors, it sets an example for the rest of the team and athletes look up to coaches so much. The second is that the lessons are really, really simple. They're very clear. They're 15 minutes. It's very clear what questions to ask. There are talking points that are on each of the cards that we have. So we make it as simple as possible for a coach to implement. And then it's also drop by drop. Those 15 minutes once a week may not sound like a lot, but the point is that these lessons are reinforced little by little to actually have a larger effect. And then the last piece that I'll touch on here is that a team environment it's a really great environment to be actually implementing a curriculum like this because it provides an opportunity for athletes like a sandbox to test things out with their peers. So as opposed to testing out bystander intervention positively at a party, well, here's a chance when you're having conversations with your team, with your friends, with your captain, that if someone says something that doesn't really feel right to you, feels inappropriate, then here's an opportunity for you to do that in what is maybe a little bit of a less risky environment. So you can iron that stuff out ahead of time to prepare you for being in spaces outside of that. So those are a few of the elements that we know make the program work. Yes, because I think for a lot of people that 
a lot of people want to help, but that I don't know how to help. I'm afraid to step in. I don't want to run the risk of everything turning against me, especially in high school. So not only do they have that chance to practice in in their sessions with their team, but then when they are out, quote unquote, in the real world and they're in school halls, they know that the team's got their back too, because they're all kind of playing from the same book and working with the, the same program. So what have been some of the biggest challenges in getting institutions to implement coaching boys into men? Because I know a lot of coaches, they're very protective of their kids. They're obviously very protective of their time because there's a lot of pressure for their teams to do well. So how do you work around some of these roadblocks? Yeah, well, you just hit on it. Time commitment, I would say, is the, is the biggest challenge. You know, we know that a lot of coaches, and for those of you who are listening, that it's, you know, a lot of coaches are not are not full-time, you know, they're not full-time coaches. They may not even be teachers out of school. Many are, of course, but it may be something part-time. We know that finances are a big part of it, too. And so being asked to do one extra thing, we often hear is, is a lot. And so what I would say to that is just that the it's, we, we make the bar as low as possible to be able to join in. You know, the, the 15 minutes once per week, being able to carve out that time is, is generally possible for folks, especially when they know that they have that advocate behind them supporting and when they get to work through questions with that advocate. And, um, and I think that the other piece that I would say is just what's the, what's the risk of not, you know, what's the risk of not implementing, which is, I think, much higher than, than those, than those 15 minutes, you know, the impact on young people's lives. And, you know, one thing too, I think that oftentimes we don't talk as much about and, and we have some testimonies on our website about about young people this is the case for but for young men too we we oftentimes don't talk about the impacts of violence on young men and and thinking about for instance if a young person is coming from a home where they're witnessing a violence that they may be taking in harmful messages um, about themselves about what it means to be a, a boy and a man so the risk of not providing this kind of education and a space and role modeling is really significant and the other thing that I would say we hear a lot of in terms of a challenge is that there's a lot of discomfort with the lessons. So I said, particularly with like the consent lesson, you know, we hear coaches say like, I don't want to talk about sex. And we're not, we don't, we're not making you talk about sex. That's not the exact point here that coaches will often say, that's not my role. And once again, we're not asking coaches to talk about sex in particular. Consent has to do with two individuals, in this case, really agreeing positively, enthusiastically about any behavior between them. That could be physical intimacy, it could be emotional intimacy. Like I said, it can just be about a hug and in a hallway. Does it feel good when I give you this kind of a compliment? Would you prefer if we went here to have this conversation as opposed to having it in front of friends? I mean, there's basic elements that just have to do with healthy communication. And that's where we come back to is just what is respectful behavior? And that is where the, the curriculum really lies. And that is what we're asking coaches to do, not to have conversations about the intimacies of, of sex. And so I think working through those discomforts is a really important thing because you know, at the base of this is just that healthy communication and how to have that relationship. Now, back in 2012, the CDC funded an evaluation of the program and found it to be highly successful. Can you expand on those findings? And were there any surprises in the evaluation, things you weren't expecting to come up? You know, just to give a sense of the scope of this research, we were in 16 high schools with over 2,000 athletes who participated in the randomized control trial. 
And we had athletic coaches from eight of the 16 schools who received the training um, and then eight who didn't. And in three months following up after the program, athletes who participated in CBIM were significantly more likely to report intentions to intervene, such as telling an adult or talking to people involved in an incident. And when witnessing abusive or disrespectful behaviors among their peers, they are more likely to intervene. So which we've covered a little bit, but it's just striking that that was even the case after three months. And then after one year, compared to athletes who did not receive the program, athletes who participated were more likely to report less abuse perpetration and less negative bystander behavior. For instance, not saying anything or laughing, like I said, when witnessing abusive or disrespectful behavior. So, and that was really substantial. You know, very often, Programs like this and prevention curricula don't receive the same kind of research and the extensiveness of, you know, 2,000 athletes over many schools um, as, as we were able to. So these were really exciting findings. And I think one thing that was a little bit surprising is that one element that we did not see an increase in in terms of kind of behavior and attitude was an increase in attitudes that promote greater gender equity. So thinking about gender norms of the role that boys and men, boys and men and young women and girls play in relationships and households when thinking about things like pay equity or thinking about these bigger questions around gender equitable attitudes we did not see an increase and i will mention that this is something that we're actively trying to address now where we're building more curricula we're building, you know, how do we use videos and more activities to really ingrain these kinds of lessons? So that was, I think, something that was it was interesting to see and stress the importance that boys are getting messages from so many sources, from movies and TV shows, from radio songs and from families about what it means to be a man. And oftentimes the relationship is made between being a man and being strong, and that strength equals violence or equals dominance and equals being invulnerable. And so those are the kinds of messages that we're trying to push back against to say, you know, strength does not equal violence. Strength can look like so many other things. It can look like emotional vulnerability. It can look like communicating feelings. And that is just a reminder of, of how many messages there are in our society that we're trying to provide a different messaging to. Now, recently, a new companion program called Athletes as Leaders, it was developed by Harborview Abuse and Trauma Center out in Seattle, Washington, and it focuses on female athletes and, and their roles. Now, how does this program differ in its approach? I mean, aside from the obvious that you're working with female athletes, but how, how else is the program different? Well, first, the content needs to look different. You know, we know that women and girls are not the primary perpetrators of abuse and harm. They can be, absolutely. And, you know, women and girls can also be um, perpetuators of gender, the same gender norms that I was just mentioning about that being a man means to be strong or dominant. And so there is absolutely space there. And the program tries to address those kinds of norms that may be shared amongst girls and women. But we know that girls and women are not the primary perpetrators of harm. And I'm sensitive to share too much on the role that women can or should play in preventing gender-based violence as a man, you know, and at the same time, women and girls do play a role uh, in this way. But with that said, you know, we have to be really, really cautious to not blame victims here. 
and to not say, you know, so often I think prevention programming and curricula have said for girls and young women, you know, hold, this is how to hold your keys in order to keep yourself safe when you're walking home at night, you know, which is really putting the onus, it's putting the burden of, of prevention of harm upon those who are most likely to be, to be harmed. And so the program really tries to take in a, a girls and a women's empowerment stance within sports as opposed to this kind of a victim, victim blaming. The second piece is that oftentimes women's sports teams have male coaches. And we know that so often for women and girls that this is a barrier to open sharing about experiences around harm, around relationships, and even around sex. And so often, well, the way that we have it set up is really for an advocate who would be a woman or even for a female coach, if that was the case, to be able to implement the program as we find that that makes a big difference in terms of comfort level. And then the third is that there is video content throughout the whole program, which is something that's a bit different than coaching boys and men, although, as I mentioned, we are looking at adding more video content and activities as does exist within athletes as leaders. But we know that folks really love those videos because they provide such a crystal clear image of what a healthy relationship can look like so that athletes can really can really see and to picture and to feel that. And then the last piece that I'll just mention is that one one difference, which is not about how the program is implemented, but is to say that athletes as leaders haven't gone through the same rigorous research process as coaching boys into men. So there's a bit more flexibility of how it's implemented. It's a very promising program, which is how we kind of frame and how we talk about it. And we're also looking into how can we kind of take athletes as leaders to the next level. But athletes as leaders is being implemented by, I mean, tr- truly, it's I mean, hundreds and thousands of coaches across the country as well. So if somebody wanted to, to find out more information on Futures Without Violence, because we haven't talked about this too much, but uh, Coaching Boys into Men is just one of many, many, many programs your organization offers. Uh, but also Coaching Boys into Men, Athletes as Leaders, where can people find out more information? They can find out more information at our website, which is coachescorner.org, which has extensive information for coaches, for advocates, for those just interested in the program. Our curricula, although you can purchase the hard copy and order them, which is also on our website, you can also download it. So it's there for you to download, to be able to look through. We also have a lot of resources for advocates as well, as I was mentioning. You know, here's a one-pager for if you're going to bring it to a school in your region to share about the program, that it works, or here's testimonials for you. We have a lot of those kinds of resources as well. Or you can also email us at coachescorner at futureswithoutviolence.org if you want to get in touch with us directly to speak about the program. And we can also direct resources um, around athletes as leaders through that website, although Athletes as Leaders has its own website too. And certainly, uh, parents, if this is something that sounds interesting to you for your kid's school, I would definitely encourage you to contact your school administration, uh, coaches. Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault does offer this training as well for high school and college students right here in central Illinois. You can reach out to us at 217-744-2560 if you want to give us a call. You can send me an email requesting more information at dbonner at prairiecasa.org. Org, and you can also find out more at our website at prairiecasa.org. Jesse Muller with Futures Without Violence, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
This has been Prevention Is Now. I'm Deb Bonner, preventionist and community advocate for Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault. If you have any questions or would like more information on this episode, please feel free to email me at dbonner at prairiecasa.org. Also, make sure you like and follow us on our social media. Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault supports children and adult survivors of sexual violence through counseling and legal and medical advocacy in 11 central Illinois counties. You can find out more about us at our website at prairiecasa.org. This program is supported by a grant from the Illinois Department of Public Health and the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. Points of view or opinions contained in this program are those of Prairie Center Against Sexual Assault and do not necessarily reflect the official positions or policies of these grantors. Thank you for joining us.